Coming up on Stu Does America, it's looking like the White House is going to have a real crisis on its hands with Ukraine. And I have to say, I'm not feeling too confident in their abilities. We'll talk about the latest and what to expect this week from Russia. Biden's looking to insert himself into the cryptocurrency world next month, so prepare for that to be completely screwed up as well. And a whirlwind football game and weekend with the Bills and Chiefs capping uh, capping it off last night. It's got me thinking about how I could run the league so much better than anyone else. I'm available. You think I could stay here for this stupid show? If I could have that gig? Goodell, call me. I'll tell you what we should do as we do NFL Overtime. Stu does America. Well, the NFL playoffs are underway. In fact, we saw the divisional round. A lot of people call this the best weekend of the year when it comes to football. And if you're a conservative, there's at least a chance that you used to love football and you've given up on it. Why? Because of idiots like Colin Kaepernick. And I will say... You shouldn't let idiots like Colin Kaepernick ruin anything in your life. The guy takes a knee just because he doesn't understand what the hell he's talking about. That shouldn't get in your way of enjoying a sport. At least that's my opinion. That's why I have this particular mug right here. Um, And it's available on the website as well as a T-shirt. Always remember that before Colin Kaepernick ever took a knee, he lost his job to Blaine Gabbard. Before he took a knee. You can get it at stewdoesmerch.com. One of my favorites of all time. Uh, there, those sorts of controversies, I mean, look, everybody's gone woke lately. Every food you eat, every place you walk into, there's some annoying woke element. You're not going to be able to avoid it all. But I will say it's cut down. It's not nearly as bad as if you watch an NBA game where basically that is now an, uh, an arm of the Democratic Party plus dribbling. Uh, but the NFL still has some of those elements, and they're annoying. And they have their normal controversies, too. Like, for example, the Super Bowl is coming up in, in less than three weeks now. And uh, there's a controversy with a logo. And I don't know. I'll show it to you here. This is the logo uh, from the Super Bowl. And, you know, if you get the right, if you get a good picture of it like this, pretty decent uh, picture. You can't really tell what the controversy is too much. But as uh, you get a little bit lower resolution, You can see clearly in this logo, there are palm trees in the red that are showing, hey, it's in Los Angeles, palm trees. That's what Los Angeles means. However, the trunk, the tree trunk, if you get a little lower resolution, sort of looks like there's just splotches of blood and the blood is dripping down the logo. Now, this, of course, uh, I mean, the game's going to be taking place just a few miles away from O.J. Simpson and his uh, whole scenario. So I don't know if there's a little tip of the cap to that history of the NFL as well. Uh, But it does sort of look like someone murdered somebody on top of the NFL Super Bowl logo, if you look at it the right way. That sort of controversy we can all understand and enjoy. But really, like, the games this weekend were spectacular. I mean, we're talking about some of the greatest football games you've ever seen, at least as far as drama goes. The Saturday games were pretty good. But then yesterday, you first had the Rams and Bucks, where... Once again, the Rams were out to a big lead against the Bucks, and there's Tom Brady down 27 to three instead of 28 to three as he famously was in the Super Bowl. Down 27 to three, starts coming back. All this crazy stuff happens. There's something to do with Tom Brady. The man has had a life that is too good for any human being. 
you know, he's married to Giselle. He's got all the money in the world. He's, you know, never gets hurt. He's like 100 years old. He's still the best quarterback in the league. And all the annoying things that go along with Tom Brady. And for some reason, whenever a big game goes on, the other team just forgets how to play football for like half the game. And the Rams, after having this giant lead, just start fumbling every other play and snapping it over each other's heads. And, you know, a Pro Bowl kicker missing a 47-yard field goal short? I, I I've never even seen it before. It's, I don't think I've ever seen that happen. So all these things come, come together. The, the Bucks get all the way down the, the field and are able to uh, somehow tie the game after being down 27 to three. And then Matthew Stafford with an amazing pass in the last seconds and the Rams wind up holding on 30 to 27. A great game, but very sloppy and crazy uh, if you like that sort of thing. The next game was a pinnacle of the NFL. I mean, two teams, probably, arguably, the two best teams in the league, playing each other in an earlier round in the playoffs, the Chiefs and the Bills, going at it to the very end, back and forth, multiple touchdowns in the last minute or so. It was crazy. The Bills score a go-ahead touchdown with 13 seconds left. Somehow, the Chiefs get down the field and kick a field goal to tie it, go to overtime, and wind up driving down the field, getting a touchdown, and that's the end of the game. And this is where a, a, a big part of the controversy sorts, uh, kind of starts to grow. I will tell you, it wasn't controversial for a friend of mine, and I will leave his name out of this, but I want to show you a wager he put in. Now, gambling is legal in some parts of the United States. I don't know if you know that. I had never heard of this. I didn't know you could, you could wager in the U.S., but apparently you can. And he put this bet in. This is a parlay. All of these things have to win for, that, for him to win this bet. Kansas City Chiefs minus one and a half. Uh, overall point total, over 54 and a half. Tyreek Hill to score a touchdown. Travis Kelsey from the Chiefs to score a touchdown. Patrick Mahomes over 281.5 passing yards. Josh Allen over 275.5 passing yards. Josh Allen over 47.5 rushing yards. Patrick Mahomes over 22.5 rushing yards. Travis Kelsey over 70.5 receiving yards. And Tyreek Hill over 70.5 receiving yards. And you'll notice, especially... The, uh, the part of Travis Kelsey, Kelsey scoring a touchdown, he scored the touchdown in overtime. The Chiefs were losing with 13 seconds left in the game and wound up coming back and winning. So these things were not sure things right near the end of the game. However, every single one of them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten different things all came in. $15 bet pays $2,521.99. That's a solid victory, and congratulations to that completely unnamed friend who uh, I'm sure was, was very, very excited towards the end. Went through massive ups and downs, verge of suicide to uh, euphoria in just seconds. That's, uh, that's the NFL, and that's why I think people love it so much, right? You had these ups and downs and just incredible amounts of emotion swinging from one side to the other. And it's like the regular world has you feeling that way a lot. It's nice to have it in something that doesn't really theoretically matter, at least. But there was one big complaint about this uh, game in particular, which was both quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, battling back and forth, going at each other, seemed like whoever had the ball last would win. And that's kind of the issue here. After they got to overtime, Josh Allen lost this coin toss, and they never got to have a chance on offense. Josh Allen never walked, uh, stepped up off the bench until the very, very uh, end to go shake Patrick Mahomes' hands in a loss. And that seems completely unfortunate, and it is. That's one of the big complaints about the NFL rules. So let's go through this, and I'm going to solve the problem here tonight. 
Let's get this over with. You should have just came here a long time ago. We could have figured this out together many, many moons ago. But here you go. The first complaint, of course, is uh, the current NFL overtime rules, and the emphasis is on the coin toss. The Chiefs won the coin toss. They decided to receive. And the way the rules uh, work, of course, is if they score a touchdown, the game is just over. The other team doesn't get a chance to come in and win. Now, this used to be the case that whoever scored first would win, even with a field goal. They got rid of that rule, but oddly made it a field goal. If you kick a field goal, then the other team gets a chance to come back and kick another field goal to tie it, and then it keeps going on and on and on. It's just a very, it was a very strange rule change, and nobody likes it. Nobody's happy with it. I guess maybe Chiefs fans are today, but they'll be screwed by it next time. Both teams should get the ball. That's kind of the way everybody, I think, feels uh, when it comes to overtime. Now, on the other side of that, a lot of people say, well, just go with the college rules. Now, the college rules are totally different. And there's a problem that I have with the college rules, which is it sort of just changes the sport. It winds up being sort of almost like a skills competition. It's closer to the shootout in soccer or hockey, where instead of actually playing the game, you kind of change the game to a particular skill or a particular part of the game and just have them go back and forth on that. And where in the fo- in college football, it winds up being essentially nonstop two-point conversions against each other to see who can win. Well. That's not the sport, right? We, there are no other point. You just place the ball at the two-yard line and see what happens. That's not usually how it works, uh, unless it's an actual conversion. And, and like people like that, and it goes on, and there's some good drama to it, but I don't like when they change the sport like that. I want it to be played on the field as the, as the sport is normally played, but there is one problem here. When you go to overtime, the whole point of having an overtime is to decide a tie. So allowing teams to score against each other and retie each other in overtime is just silly. And that's the way the rules are today. Or it's also silly when one team can just score and the other team can't get on the field. Now, people correctly argue that defense is part of the game as well. And those people should, you know, those teams should just stop the other team on defense. And it would have been convenient if you didn't let uh, the Chiefs go the distance of the field for a game-winning field goal in 13 seconds. That's another option. Don't let that happen. Lots of mistakes made around that as well. But how do we actually solve this going forward? Here's Stu's rules. And one of the problems with my rules, and of course, there's always a problem. Uh, This one, the problem is, of course, none. There's no problems. It's my rule. So, of course, there's no problems with it. If there were problems with it, I'd come up with a different rule. But this one's perfect. Are you ready for it? Okay. Here's the thing. Let me give you the basic outline of my overtime rules. Feel free to implement these free of charge, NFL. If the team that gets the ball first scores, the second team gets one possession to win the game. Not to tie the game, but to win the game. They have to outdo what the other team did. Team one kicks a field goal, for example. Let's just say team one kicks a field goal. What do you do? You can't come down and kick another field goal. You have one possession to score a touchdown. You have to outdo what the other team did. Now, of course... There's an advantage with going second in any of these situations because you know what the team one did. So you have to outdo that. You have to beat it, not tie it. The whole point of an overtime is to avoid a tie. Well, what happens if the team one scores a touchdown? You don't just end the game, NFL. No. Instead, the second team will have one possession to score a touchdown and then must go for two to win the game, not to tie the game. There's no reason to bring a tie back in overtime unless no one scores for a very long time. And of course, in the playoffs, that would never, ever apply. 
What if the team, this would almost never happen, but the team scores a touchdown and goes for two? Well, you got to come up with some solution there. You don't want to tie again. So we'll make it so that team two has one possession to score a touchdown and then convert as well from one yard farther than team one did. So if they start at the two for a two-point conversion, they got to do it from the three. And if they do that, they win by one point. There you go. It's over. You have a team scoring. The other team gets a chance to answer it. But instead of tying it, they have to go for the win. They have to better their opponent. Is this not a support? My understanding is it's a support. You want to have back and forth action. You want both teams with equal shots. And you want one team having to win against the other. We don't want ties. This is America. Ties are for losers. And that's why this rule will, of course, solve all the problems and there will be no side effects and everything will be perfect if it is implemented, which means, of course, it never will be. You know where they don't have ties in NFL games? Panama. No ties in NFL games in Panama. That's just, I mean... I haven't watched too much of their football league, but um, I'm sure there's no ties there. Uh, If you're thinking about uh, buying a property as an investment, maybe you need a change. Maybe you're sick of all the crazy stuff going on here. You're thinking about maybe vacationing or moving or investing somewhere other than the United States. How about Panama? In Panama, you're up to 10 times richer. Why? Well, uh, your, your dollar goes a lot farther in Tampa, or excuse me, in Panama, than Tampa, honestly. Um, Panama is a high-income nation. Uh, it's not the kind of dusty third world uh, that you see here um, in, you know, uh, when you watch the news. It's also, of course, uses the U.S. dollar as its currency, which is really super nice. But every dollar counts about 10 times as much because of the difference in cost of living. So think about how much you can make, you know, or how, what kind of lifestyle you could live if you took your bank account and multiplied it by 10 Right now, as a fan of the show, you can learn more about this opportunity by getting the complete Invest and Retire in Panama series. This includes the American's Guide to Living and Retiring in Panama, along with four videos. It's all free. Check it out at buypanamanow.com slash stew. 100% free for the audience. Head over to buypanamanow.com slash stew and get your copy today. It's buypanamanow.com slash stew. All right, I'm joined once again by Jason Buttrell, head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Uh, Jason, how's it going? Good, good. good. Last night's uh, NFL was insane. Yeah, I mean, we just went over a bunch of it. What's your? Give me a quick NFL reaction. How did uh, you, I mean, it really isn't. I mean, like people say, oh, you got to boycott it, and I know you did this one year. I, I was watching that this weekend. I'm thinking, I'm never. Gonna, I don't care if they start murdering children. I'm going to still watch this sport. How could you not? After I don't know. I'm worried about the Super Bowl now because it's not going to make a difference. It's going to be boring. Yeah. I think after this weekend, my son's a huge Rams fan, and he was up like out of the couch, freaking out when they went back to back to Cooper Cup. Oh, man. As I couldn't hear anything in the house except for, you know, my teenage son going, let's go, let's I, go. I, <laughs> it's amazing, too, because they had that game completely won. And then, of course, with Tom Brady on the other side, the other team just has to forget how to play football for at least a quarter in every game. Yeah. Uh, and they almost blew it. Uh, but I mean, I'd love to see Matthew Stafford come through in a, in a big moment. I'm a big Stafford fan, so that was yeah, fun to like watch. It. it was wild. Um, all right, let's go to uh, things that are a little bit more depressing. Uh, <laughs> you've been following the Russia thing uh, with Ukraine. What the hell is going on? It's kind of hard to, to, to really decipher because there's a lot of political buffoonery, I think, going around. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think most people, people are, keep asking me, like, are you one of those, like, warmongers? No, I, I don't want troops there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's kind of hard to tell what the GOP wants out of this. Yeah. Because I think, and I re- the reason for the mixed messaging is I think that a lot of people are 
rightfully so, blaming Biden for a lot of the things that have happened or how things are progressing. So when they blame him for it, it almost kind of sounds like they're, you know, jumping on with, you know, let's go to war type. Right. You know, Some rhetoric. sort of really hawkish position. Right. But I, I don't I don't but I don't think that they're I don't I don't, I, 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 don't, I can't imagine anyone in the GOP would have that you know stance. I don't think any anybody is wanting that. The people that are kind of really taking advantage of it politically, I think, or I think the Biden administration really is. Um, who are the two countries right now that have said very publicly, we're taking out our diplomats, you know, and you, everyone's like, oh, crap, like what's happening? Mm. The Biden administration did that. And the uh, um, Boris Johnson administration did that in the U.K., both of them have the same problem right now and that their country <laughs> hates them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? It does seem to be a little bit of that going around. They've got things that they want to distract away from. Mm -hmm. Johnson, it's the whole, you know, having a party during COVID lockdown stuff. They're trying mm -hmm. to distract. He's out of here, I think, pretty soon. It, that is the, that seems to be the push right now, which is odd. You know, he's always been a popular guy in the country, even maybe above his actual leadership abilities. Like, people just kind of like him. He's got his messy hair going on. He's got the whole shtick. And his trouble seems to be because he went to an outdoor party when when everyone else was restricted, which, like, get in line. All of our politicians have done that. Yeah, That's, yeah. like, normal for I us. Know, I know. But, I mean, it, it, go, it goes way beyond. I mean, I, I definitely think that the Biden administration has, you know, uh, they're very much at fault in a lot of what's going on right yeah. now. Now, for, let me just say right at the top. This is serious, right? 100,000 troops on a border. This is usually not signal that they're, you know, I don't know, going to deliver Uber or something like that. You well, know, it's well, yeah. Uber infrastructure to you know, deliver food into Ukraine. <laughs> right. That's not what it is. No. Well, let, let's start here, though, because 100,000 troops, there are still people in Ukraine um, who are saying, these guys have been saber-rattling for years. We don't expect them to come in. I mean, how, how common is it for a big buildup of troops on a border to send a message, to shake up a, a political opponent? Um, so, and, and Russia has done that yeah. before. Um, they, they run a yearly ex an annual exercise where they amass a ton of troops. Um, but th this is not an exercise. This is not really common, uh, this right here, this mm -hmm. buildup. Uh, uh, it's been telegraphed for a while. Mm -hmm. I think that when we first started looking at this, they had 50,000 troops. They were like, this is going to swell to 70, possibly 100. Well, now they're at 100. So everything that we thought was going to move in has now moved in. So now it just kind of seems like a waiting game. Are they actually intending to do something? Or is it leverage to get something that they want? Or is it just a minor incursion? A minor, that I was mean, so insulting. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, they had to be furious with this, and it seems like they were. Yeah, right. I mean, any country hearing that, that, oh, it's just something minor. Anytime foreign troops invade your country, I don't care <laughs> if it's, you know, just to take a, like, a, like a little, like the McDonald's, yeah. you know, on the border. It's still an invasion. It wasn't minor. Um, but... Yeah, I think that I think the, the Biden administration has done multiple different things to invite this in. Um, Putin does this seemingly every time someone of that caliber gets into the office or those people. So the same people that are in now, they were in the in the State Department or the White House uh, back in uh, when uh, was it 2014 when mm -hmm. when he took Crimea. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Uh, they did very little, but very little, mm -hmm. you know, like some everyone kind of got together and said, let's do some, you know, minor sanctions. They weathered the sanctions and they got what they want. My gut reaction is that's what he's looking at now. He's going to see how far he's going to push. He's going to see how, you know, the rhetoric gets, how much the sable rattling gets. If he thinks he can get away with it. He's going to keep the status quo and move those troops into the eastern Ukraine that they basically already run anyway. It'll just be official now. Now, I got 
my head was exploding when over the weekend the Biden administration was saying, we think he's going to go all the way to, you know, Kiev and, you know, and install, a, you know, a pro, you know, Russian, you know, um, president or whatever they have over there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? I mean, that so it is Ukraine's not a pushover, right? They were more of a pushover back in 2014. They fixed a lot of those problems. A full invasion into Ukraine, yeah, Russia's going to win, but it's going to be a drawn out thing. It's not going to be easy. It's mm-hmm. going to be drawn yeah, out. Yeah. They're, They're going to take casualties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy. I do not see that happening. And any rhetoric kind of taking over that, to me, is playing the politics of it. Right, okay. But the thing that's so agonizing, we had, uh, so, the latest news was that um, that uh, Biden is considering moving troops to other parts in the area, not into Ukraine, but taking like I think he said three to five thousand troops, put them in Romania, yeah. Latvia, some Basically of the bordering saying, countries. Yeah, okay, Ukraine's one thing, but don't go farther than that, right? Mm. Or, or, or the threat of we will respond if we have to, right. if it gets too bloody type thing. Well, the agonizing thing about that is he's doing that now. But, it looks reactionary, right? He's mm-hmm. doing that. It's going to be perceived in a bad way to the Russians. They're mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, this is exactly as. So, do you remember when Trump was going to take out uh, troops out of Germany, and the media and the Democrats collectively freaked out? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh my gosh, how are we taking all these troops out of Europe? Like, he doesn't care. Well, what they didn't report is that those troops were going to places like Romania, Latvia, mm. bordering countries around Ukraine. Mm. That's where they were going. They weren't just poof, coming back home or whatever. They right. were redeploying in other areas. Mm-hmm. Now, Trump was doing that during a time when there was no conflict, right? We were getting, we were getting along with them fine. Uh, they weren't considering moving into Ukraine. Now, the thing with Trump was he was unpredictable. Putin didn't know what the heck he was doing there. Right. He didn't know if he was like, you know, just reorienting or he didn't know. That was what made Trump so different. Right now, he's everything about that team that's there right now, they're predictable. He knows exactly what to expect from them. Yeah. And right now, they're doing I guarantee you, he's got a playbook. He's like, watch, they're going to do this, they're going to do this, they're going to do this, whatever. We get Eastern Ukraine. That's what, that's what he's following right now. And it does seem to be they're going down all these same roads that you'd expect them to go down uh, in the typical Biden way, flailing all the way uh, through. Um, let me let's talk about the right for a second and the response to this, because it's been interesting. There is a, obviously a group of hawkish people. I don't think anybody's advocating war. Uh, no, one, I think no one wants to be uh, in a position where we're fighting Ukraine's war and some sort of ground troop. But there is this idea of helping them with equipment, helping them in more of an overt way, keeping troops in the general vicinity. There's a bunch of other steps that that would fall maybe into the hawkish group. There's another group, you know, Tucker Carlson sort of seems to be in this group, Soab Armare, like people that we like, but also seem to be more hesitant on, on getting involved in these things. And they're saying, like, look, you know, Biden's instinct to not go near this thing might be the right one. Let's just say we, we can't get involved in every one of these conflicts. Uh, and it's, you know, I, and I have a part of me sees this from the perspective of I have no faith in Biden or the people around him. So if he does get involved in in any way with this area, he's probably going to screw it up, which makes me nervous. What's the split on the right? And and did I describe that right? And and where do you think we should land? Yeah, pretty much. I mean... Again, it's... You have the Tucker Carlson, that that, that group that really... It's so... So I'm in agreement with Tucker on on the fact that, yeah, I don't want to send troops over there. Mm -hmm. I don't want the U.S. military being involved whatsoever. 
Now, there's a problem when you're making that case, mm -hmm. and I think this is where they go a little bit too far, is that they think that it's almost like they're just give, uh, giving uh, the Russians an excuse, mm -hmm. right? They're like, oh, that's just them doing, you know, being them. Yeah. Well, no, I, I mean, they're considering invading a foreign country, right? I mean, that's not okay. And especially considering the history, and if you know that what their strategic goals are, which is to push out as far as they can, to ice or to um, to basically put a kind of a fortress mm -hmm. around Moscow, that over the centuries that has been their prime strategic goal, bar none. That's what they're. So when they're pushing out, they're going into places like Crimea. Then they're going further into Ukraine. When they're doing these things in uh, Belarus, which is basically a vassal state at this mm -hmm. point, this is concerning. Um, but we don't have to send troops in. There's smart things that you can do to, you know, deter this, deter like activity like this. We talked about it before. I think I did on this show before. Um, Nord Stream 2. That was absolutely ridiculous. And it's hilarious that we greenlit them to go ahead and finish construction on it. But now, once we called it out, Saki and the rest of the administration is talking about how they have this leverage over uh, Russia because the gas is not flowing yet. Well, Russia can turn that on if they want. I mean, I don't understand why, how that's your big, see, we got them, you yeah. know, like, just because we let them build it. Like, are you kidding me, right? That, that, that was ridiculous. Um, I, there is a fine line between, you know, saying I want to push back against Russia. I want to make it to where they know that it's not okay for them to push up, you know, push into, you know, sovereign countries. Um, there's a fine line between saying that and there's diplomatic things we can do and then versus oh well You know we shouldn't be involved Granted, mm -hmm. but then Russia's not doing anything wrong, right? Because there, there is ridiculous that, There's part of that narrative that is almost like Vladimir Putin is not that bad of a guy and Ukraine and Russia are sort of on equal footing Why did we pick the side of Ukraine? And I think Tucker said on, on a show one night that all Russia was doing was guarding its border with Ukraine I mean is there anything to support that Ukraine is the aggressor? No, here? not at all. No, no, I mean, there's that buffer zone uh, mm -hmm. where, you know, both sides are constantly taking pot shots back and forth. Right. It's been a hot war since 2014. Yeah. It has not stopped. And people, by and large, have not reported on it, which is insane. People die almost daily yeah. in this war. And, and that's in the Crimea region where, you know, basically Russia runs this place now, even though it's still part of Ukraine. Um, can you, how does this, does this translate to, let's say Russia goes into Ukraine, what we would expect, I think, to happen is that we don't do much of anything. Maybe we have you know, troops in the area, but don't, we're not involved. Maybe we send some uh, assistance. Maybe there's some economic penalty to pay for Russia. Uh, so it's not that we would do nothing, but like, it's not gonna, we're not gonna have a lot of teeth in our response, I don't think. No. Does this green light China to go into Taiwan or some other authoritarian regime to see expansionism as something that's a little, a little more appetizing? It's interesting you bring up the China-Taiwan thing because just today there was reports, maybe it was last night, but there was again another, uh, I can't remember how many, but multiple planes that crossed over into Taiwan's airspace. Um, interesting timing there mm. as this news is coming out. You cannot rule out a, uh, you know, a coordinated, hey, well, you guys are doing this, we're going to do that. Um, the United States, we're the only superpower in the world. No one comes even close to our capability. But, wow, we cannot be that spread out. We couldn't respond to both. It's absolutely insane. So that would be smart. It would be a major escalation for sure. Um, the Taiwan thing, I think, would be a lot harder to pull off for China. But um, Why? Why, why, why would it be, you're, it's not, obviously militarily, it's not difficult for them. Just pressure from other global powers, they are more 
tied into the global economy than, than Russia is? What's the reason? Why wouldn't they do it? There's multiple, and, and I think a lot of people haven't conveyed just what that, people just usually hear things like, oh my gosh, China's going to invade. Yeah. Um, first of all, we would know, just like we have now with Russia, we would know weeks in advance that China was about to pull something off. That would be a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, they're so tied together economically, kind of how you pointed out, that they both, it'd be like, you know, it's almost like mutually assured of destruction right now. Uh, I think Taiwan is the biggest uh, partner, that, trading partner that they have. Um, billions, hundreds of billions of dollars invested both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that. Plus, the United States absolutely would uh, respond. The the the, um, the global community would respond. It would just be. And plus, Taiwan's military is no pushover either. They, yeah. They've got significant uh, defense capabilities. So yeah, that, that would be very very hard to pull off for them. Plus, it's amphibious. It would be an amphibious uh, thing they'd have to cross. You mm-hmm. know, the ocean sure. to do yeah. so. Yeah, I think it'd be a lot harder, and it'd be very very telegraphed. Um, but the Ukraine thing is very, very, is very much possible. I, I still, I still think that that is will prob- the status quo that is what's in place now with them secretly running Eastern Ukraine is just going to be the official thing, and that's what will happen. And I don't think that what's what's annoying is we could have been making moves to help strengthen the surrounding countries mm-hmm. um, so that they can defend themselves. This is where it gets scary because if we have our troops in some of these surrounding countries, I don't think that NATO troops will respond. I don't think that's in the cards at all. But what if you're Romania and now you're getting nervous and you're like, oh my gosh, we have to do something. What if, what if a cross-border skirmish happens between Romania and Ukraine, our troops are close by, and then Russian uh, shells land near, or heaven forbid, even kill some U.S. troops? Or even then, they attack a NATO member, even still, I mean, that, that would kick off a larger conflict. This is where it gets very, very dangerous. And I know this is probably what Putin is weighing as well. If any of those accidents happen, this just went up a whole, you know, another notch. Yeah, and you look at this, I mean, obviously Putin has wanted this for a long time. And he has to be looking at the dynamics of, this, of, this, uh, of, of the world right now and this administration and saying, like, these guys are weak. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do? Yeah. Like, if we really want this, let's go get it. We'll deal with it. There will be negative consequences, but we'll deal with them. We want it this badly. What's this guy going to do? I mean, he can't even get through sentences in front of, in, yeah. in front of a crowd. Jason Buttrell, head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Uh, be sure to follow him on the Twitters. Uh, and uh, I guess you guys, did you guys have another special this week coming up? Uh, yes. So we have a, uh, it's, you'd never see Glenn do an economic collapse show. But that's what we're doing this week. <laughs> no. You've never heard that before, right? Uh, wow. That's a <laughs> shocking development. It, I, it does feel like we're on the precipice of something here, though. It, it's crazy. So just for a little tease into that, I've been given actual Monty printing numbers from the Fed. So not the stuff that they, you know, give in official releases or whatever. Yeah. But people have done FOIA lawsuits to find out how much they're actually giving to some of these banks. Astronomical. Insane. I mean, it is crazy. But we're going to show you guys this Wednesday. All right. It's Wednesday night. Uh, Don't miss it. Uh, Jason, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks. Do you like a good, I don't know, snack throughout the day? Maybe uh, not packing on the pounds while you're snacking? Uh, Built Bar is here to save the day for you because they've got great flavors. They've got chocolate, uh, you know, stuff. Everything's covered in chocolate. They've got coconut, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream, so many more. They've got a mixed box. We'll give you two each of their nine regular flavors. Plus, they're always coming up with new stuff. 180 calories or less. A lot of them are like 140 calories, uh, 18 grams of protein, low in carbs, 
low in sugar, high in fiber. They've got everything going for them, and they actually taste good, which is unlike any other protein bar you've ever had. Uh, go to Built.com, use the promo code STU15, save 15% off your first order. This is something you can use as a meal replacement. You can use it as a snack. You can use it as a dessert. Uh, my wife says make sure they're chilled all the time. Always keep them in your uh, refrigerator when you're getting ready to eat them. Stew15 is the code at uh, Built.com. Check it out now, 15% off, Built.com. I know that so many of my liberal and progressive friends are with me on this, and they do not want to say it out loud because they are scared to be called anti-vax or to be called science denial or to be, you know, smeared as a trumper. I'm sorry, <laughs> if you believe the science, you will look at the data that we did not have two years ago, and you will fi find out that cloth masks do not do anything. You will realize that you can show your vaccine passport at a restaurant and still be asymptomatic and carrying Omicron. And you will realize, most importantly, that this is going to be remembered by the younger generation as a catastrophic moral crime. The city of Flint, Michigan, which is 80%, I think, minority students, has just announced indefinite virtual schooling. In the past two years, we've seen among young girls a 51% increase in self-harm. People are killing themselves. They are anxious. They are depressed. They are lonely. That is why we need to end it more than any inconvenience that it's been to the rest of us. I think it's, it's a pandemic. It's, it's like at this point, it's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's Barry Weiss on with Bill Maher, real time with Bill Maher. Uh, Barry Weiss is awesome. Her podcast is really good as well. And it's uh, it's one of these things where it seems like there's people outside of the the, the normal conservative group really like changing. I think, you know, there was a point, I think, in this pandemic where you had kind of the right saying we just want to open everything up and the left was saying we want to shut everything down. I think we're long past that at this point. I think there's a lot of people in the middle, a lot of people even on the left that are saying, look, we did what we could here. You know, no one wants grandma to die, but you can only do so much and you have to keep society running. And we either, you know, either you believe in, in maybe an alternative treatment or you decided to go get the vaccine or whatever. Maybe you had it and you think you're protected. Whatever it is at this point, there is a path to protection for everybody. And you can decide whether you want to take it or not. What else are we supposed to do as a society? Um, so I think you notice that. But you also notice that we have set up basically a two tiered society. When I listened to her, uh, Barry Weiss, in that clip, um, talk about some of the things going on in Flint, Michigan, they're shutting down schools indefinitely for virtual learning. Like, these are things that are completely foreign to someone living in a red state. Like, I, I will tell you this, and this, is, this bothers people sometimes when I talk like this, but I want you to understand, if you are in a blue state, if you're in a blue county that has all sorts of restrictions on you, if you're uh, working at a company, for example, that has a lot of this stuff still in place, you have to know that I don't deal with any of it. It's not because I'm some like guy who fights back against the machine and I'm like, I'm a badass and I'm gonna go talk tough about how I walk into every place against the rules and rip my mask off and make a big public showing and put myself on YouTube so I can brag about what a tough guy I am. I'm not that guy at all. There's just none of that stuff going on here. I live in Texas, I do whatever I want, whenever I want, and that's kind of the whole story. It doesn't feel like we're in a pandemic at all here. You might be in a completely different situation. You should know there's help here for you in the South. 
We, I saw an economic chart today that showed where all the jobs are coming from and where they're going to. Every region in the country has minus hundreds of thousands of jobs, with the exception of the South, which is plus hundreds and hundreds of thousands of jobs into the millions. Why? Because people realize that doing it that way is nuts and you should get the hell out of there. So come join us in Texas as long as you're not insane. We'd love to have you. Go visit Florida. There's lots of states in the South that are doing these things, I think, the right way at this point. And there was a time where you could argue about different measures and things that we should and should not be doing. Of course, I always lean back to the Constitution and say these things shouldn't come from the government. But there were steps that you could take to try to make yourself a little healthier and happier in certain times uh, of the year, particularly if you had vulnerable people around you. But we are long beyond the times where that has to be a focus of society. We're long beyond it. We've now created a two-tiered society where some people are able to free to do whatever they want, and some people are constantly living in fear and can't. That's crazy. Some of these complaints I see from people in, in, who live in D.C. and New York and California, and I think to myself, like, it's almost like, uh, like we used to watch those videos of We Are the World from like Ethiopia, where like you feel empathy for those people, but it, it seems completely foreign to your lived experience. That's where we are now in the pandemic. It's getting stranger and stranger. Now, of course, obviously, the uh, CDC is I mean, they've done a great job with this from the beginning. Now trying to figure out what being fully vaccinated actually means. They told you initially it was one shot of Johnson and Johnson or two of the MRNAs. And yeah, now they're kind of like, well, maybe what if it's uh, you need to be fully boosted? Is it three boosters? How many boosters are you going to need? All of this is now they're going to tr- start saying, are you up to date with your boosters like you're a dog? That's that's kind of how I think this is going to work now. They've done such a good job with that. How could they possibly screw it up? And if you were worried about uh, them screwing up COVID policy, you're going to be very thrilled to hear they want to get involved in the cryptocurrency markets now. The Biden administration is signaling to financial uh, journalists they are going to be jumping in big and heavy in the next couple months on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Now, this wouldn't have anything to do with the giant um, drawdown in cryptocurrency values we're currently seeing as Bitcoin has slipped below 35,000 today, uh, where it was at one point up at 69,000. Now, I can tell the difference because I'm a veteran in this field. Okay, I've been investing in cryptocurrency since 2014, I think. So I've seen these things come and go so many times. I can tell people who got interested in cryptocurrency recently because they're all freaking out over this, where I've seen this thing come and go so many freaking times at this point. You never count your chickens before they hatch. You never know which way this thing is going to go. Is it going to be up? Is it going to be down? Is it going to be years down? Is it going to be years up? Who freaking knows? Uh, But it is a really important, innovative industry that some Democrats are encouraging. I mean, Eric Adams in, the, in New York took his first payment, uh, his, his first um, paycheck in Bitcoin and I think Ethereum. Um, uh, so there's a split on the Democratic side. This is not a partisan issue and it's important it, doesn't, it remains a nonpartisan issue. You don't want this to be the Republican currency or it will never be uh, widely adopted. This has to be something that crosses these lines. Biden's gonna try to, uh, to uh, go after that. Uh, and he's, you know, he's going to, he's, as it falls, he, a lot of people are going to be angry at the industry and who knows, they might get this done. There's a lot of democratic money on that side though. Uh, that is up for risk. Um, let me give this to, uh, just as we tie in together football and cryptocurrency before we go here, this is Darren Ravel. He says the amount of people applauding players changing their salary into Bitcoin, uh, as if they were heroes has been comical Rams wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. At least in the moment provides a cautionary tale. Now he's admittedly against cryptocurrency going to give you the worst 
state of this uh, particular argument. But he says on November 12th, Odell Beckham Jr. signed a deal with the Rams worth $750,000. He announced he was to take that in Bitcoin. At the time, Bitcoin was worth 64293 Today, it's worth 35400 Today, that deal is worth $412,953. Odell will be taxed, though, on the $750,000, which, again, I don't know how it's Bitcoin's fault. It seems like the U.S. policy fault. Federal and California state tax will be 50.3%. That means Odell, as of now, has netted $35,000 from that $750,000 salary. Now, of course, no one goes and does this when Bitcoin is up by 100% and say, wow, they took the $700,000 in Bitcoin and now it's worth $1.5 million. No one bothers with that. But it is an interesting thing. We do need some clarity for these companies. We do need some clarity for people who invest in cryptocurrency. Um, but one thing we cannot get from Joe Biden in any, in any realm of our society is clarity. So if you're worried, you're right. In a culture of increasing sources of misinformation, it's more important ever than ever really for parents to raise inquisitive children who ask their own questions and find their own answers. It's not about teaching only kids what to think, though of course that's important, but it's how to think as well. Annie's Genius Box is an excellent way to encourage your kids' curiosity while providing fun activities that are entertaining as they are educational. And if you're like me, I have kids in this age group, between seven and 12 is the main age for, for this particular one. And I've noticed, too, when I do things with one of them, they're more engaged. Like, you go out with the kids, and then you have a great time as a family. But sometimes it's important just to do things one-on-one with your kids. Um, and if you have multiple kids, sometimes you don't get to do that that often. This is a great way to do that. Um, if you have a, a kid who's interested in science, um, interested in doing fun experiments and learning as they do them, uh, there are three hands-on activities to explore uh, exciting STEM theme like geology, you know, chemistry, aerodynamics, all sorts of different things. It's per- perfect for kids age 7 to 12. Genius Box can empower your kids' imagination and critical thinking skills. They have like a top secret mission envelope every box that will like help you get through the whole thing and it makes it really fun and exciting for kids. And it's great for you to spend time with them as well. Annie'sKitClubs.com slash stew is a place to go. Get 50% off your first box. Annie'sKitClubs.com slash stew. It's Annie'sKitClubs.com slash stew. Please listen to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review the podcast. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. This one comes in, whatever. Stu continues to say he's the most pro-vaccine person on the right, but Ben Shapiro says he's the most pro-vaccine person on the right. Could we have a vaccine off between the two of them? It's great. What a... Yeah, you know the thing. All right. Well, I don't know. I don't know which one is uh, who wins that battle. Uh, I'm, it's a great marketing ploy to be a conservative right now talking about vaccines and not telling you that they're terrible. Uh, but, you know, look, all I say is and I'm sure he's saying the same thing. I'm not your dad. I'm not your doctor. You make your own freaking choices. I'll give you the information that I have. Uh, go find other sources. Check that out as well. Whatever. Do what you do. I'm not going to sit here and, and micromanage your bloodstream. Sorry. Um, all right. This one comes from YouTube. Uh, I was only able to get through the episode thinking of Leah Thompson every time Leah Thomas was brought up, the trans swimmer. And uh, yeah, I can understand that. Leah Thompson back in the day. I mean, come on. That was, that was solid. Uh, Tammy writes, why can't there be a male league, a female league and a trans league? Why was the female transitioning to a male not competing in the male league? These are great questions, though. I think we should just go all out here and just say there's just one league for everyone. 
Therefore, women can never, ever play sports again, because that seems to be what the left wants. They seem to want to give them no ability to have competition among uh, other women. So let's just open it all up. If there's a woman that winds up being as good as, uh, you know, I don't know, um, uh, LaMelo Ball, well, then you just put her in the league. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe not. Okay, so here's what happened. Uh, Weber Grills, they send out a, a, an email every week with a recipe to cook on your grill. And they say, hey, a recipe of the week is a barbecue meatloaf. You fat slob, make some barbecue meatloaf. No big deal. This is what they do. Just helping you out. However, then the singer, Meatloaf, died. So they had to send out another email. This is unbelievable. This morning you received our recipe of, of the week email, which was sent to you every Friday. In today's email, we highlighted a grilled meatloaf recipe. At the time we shared this with you, we were not aware of the unfortunate passing of American singer and actor Mr. Marvin Lee Aday, also known as Meatloaf. We want to express our deepest apologies for this oversight and any offense this email may have caused. We are sorry, Mr. Loaf. <laughs> 